Hey listeners, it's Keith from Evertrue. Evertrue is the end-to-end solution for insight, outreach, and analytics for higher ed advancement and stewardship teams around the world. Recently, we launched Evertrue Studios, Advancement's very first media hub, where subscribers have access to over 100 hours of free, on-demand original series and podcasts, all created with fundraisers in mind. Check us out at evertrue.com backslash studios. Hi, I'm Erin Moran. And I'm David Lively. And this is Talking Shop, where we explore some of the stickier challenges that come up in advancement. And today we're talking about being the new person, the new leader specifically of an advancement office, what it's like to walk into an environment with its own way of working, its own habits, and kind of how how to approach that job uh, in the right way. So yeah, and this is one of the hardest things I think going into an organization where you're you know you're at the very top of the organization or near the top of the organization, um, and everybody has huge expectations of you. Right. You know, senior management, the president, the board, or whomever, their big expectations. You're going to raise a lot of money and extremely fast. Mm-hmm. Right. And by the way, that's extremely hard to do. Yes, right, right. <laughs> you, you have what I like to call uh, Rumsfeldian unknowns. <laughs> if you remember our former defense yes. secretary, Don Rumsfeld, he said there are no knowns, known unknowns, and unknown unknowns. <laughs> and, and the unknown unknowns are the Rumsfeldian ones. Rumsfeldian, yes. So, <laughs> I mean, when, when you're brand new, yeah, you can't see, you don't know anything. You don't know whether, how to turn your computer on, where the coffee maker is, you know? So right. you come in and you're not going to be very efficient when you're brand new. Um, but there are some great advantages to being new in an organization. Mm-hmm. And that is you can see blind spots that others can't. Right. Um, you can just, and this is, you can see the dysfunction of an organization that it can't see itself. This is what I call, um, <laughs> forgive me, Lively's theory of dysfunction. I love this. You, I remember years ago, you mentioned this to me. <laughs> give give the Lively theory of dysfunction. So Lively's theory of dysfunction. I have not yet uh uh, copyrighted this, so I'll just do that now. Copyrighted uh, August 2022. <laughs> so Lively's theory of dysfunction goes like this: When you're brand new in an organization, um, the first six months to a year, you can identify all manner of dysfunction. Things you're like, "Why do we do this? I see these weird workarounds. What is this about?" And you're like, "You don't understand it at all." And, you know, and you're like, "That's so strange that we do this instead of just doing the real logical thing of X, Y, or Z, right?" Right. And then you start to understand, oh, there's politics involved, or mm-hmm. or maybe this doesn't work so well, or this person is difficult, so we just avoid that person, right? right. Her or him. Um, and so the the next part of the theory of dysfunction goes like after the first six months to a year, you really start to fight. And if you're really like, if you have a lot of, you know, if you're tenacious and you know you're willing to put up with it, you'll try for a year, maybe two years to fight against the dysfunction. Right. right. Maybe longer. It. Yeah, maybe longer, but I, I don't have that much energy, right? <laughs> and then yeah. after that period of time, you are fully part of the dysfunction <laughs> and you have created workarounds yeah. all over the place, right? But when you're new, you don't, you're, you're really starting to identify strange things that happen and trying to understand the culture of the institution, the culture of the, the advancement shop, um, how fundraisers work, you know, what sort of incentives have been there, which ones are good, which ones are bad. You're not part of the grapevine. And when you come into a shop at the very top, this is also extremely hard. You're never part of the grapevine. Mm-hmm. So you really, it's very hard to take a pulse survey on the, on the team um, in, a, in a real way 
by asking folks because they're just not going to want to tell you the truth because you're scared of you because you're the you're the top person. And you know the people who are most afraid to be honest with you and share share the point of view is the people that you probably most want to hear from. That's right. You know the people who are beeline making a beeline to your office are probably not the people that you actually need to be listening to because there's always people who you know want to um, quickly build that relationship because they've got an agenda that they want their new leader to accomplish. That's right. They want to, they want you to trust and like them. So they're going to tell you all the things they think you want to hear, right. but there may be a, you know, for lack of a better term, a silent majority that's going to just put their head down and do the work. Right. And it's important to understand what the real, what's really happening. Right. And so, you know, as a new leader, I think that, you know, the, the most important thing I think you can do as a new leader of any organization coming in is to, is to try to meet with as many people as you can. Mm-hmm. Get to learn the culture of the organization, of the individuals. Get to know the individuals who are part of your team. They're, they are the they are the people who are going to make or break um, yep. the success of the team and, and frankly, of you as their leader. Um, it's also important to get perspectives from outside of your team. Right. To really do a listening tour around the institution. And then one the third thing, and those two things, are, I think most everybody who comes into an organization tries to do some of those things. Right. The third thing that I like to do is I like to actually test those assumptions with as much data as I can possibly get. Mm. Um, because data is dispassionate. It doesn't have opinions. And it's not trying to get ahead. And it's right. not trying to play politics. And so I will oftentimes try to understand, like people will always tell you, oh, this fundraiser, she's the best, or he's the best, or they're the most successful, or they're terrible. And quite often the data is tell a completely different story. Right. So I think it's important to, when you're coming into an organization, Talk to the people inside and outside the organization, but also look as much information as you can to try to understand how they've been performing. Try to understand what's working, what's not working. And then you can start to see very more, maybe perhaps more clearly, what are the opportunities right. for growth and um, you know improvement within the organization? And which things should you just not mess with because they're really working well? <laughs> Yeah. And don't mess it up. Like you can really screw a lot of things up by trying to change things just because you have a perception that this is, you know, this is a bad idea. Try to learn more about it before you start making changes. Yeah, I I agree. I think one of the most important things you can do um, and what I've always tried to do as manager is really make, make it a goal to trust the people that are reporting to you until they give you a reason to not trust them, in which case you need to get rid of them. But as long as you can trust the people around you, you know, you, you have to rely on them even more than you can on your own knowledge and experience because they're the ones who are really on the ground dealing with um, the issues on a day-to-day basis. That's right. And also try to have some self-awareness. Like what, it, you know, you have your own blind spots, just like the organization does when you come in. What are your own blind spots? How can you complement your weaknesses by making sure you you hire some good people or you identify people within the organization who have the strengths that perhaps you don't. Right. So if you're not a numbers person, find that person who's really good at the data and make sure they understand it so they can help inform you some of these things. You know, and if you don't have a background or experience in one area or another, make sure you have someone around you who does. Yeah. By the way, can I just stop and say, I find myself saying this to a lot of people. Um, nobody, nobody, has experience in every part of advancement. I mean, it, it's it's incredibly rare for somebody to have worked in every single solitary part of the office. So it is okay to acknowledge that you don't know something. It is abs- That's what smart people do. 
smart people know what they're good at and what they have, you know, a knowledge gap in. Absolutely. Well, and the other thing is I, I completely agree with that. And don't assume that this organization is anything like the organization you just came from. Right. Um, so you may want to make a bunch of changes, but again, first, try to understand where you're, where, what this new organization is about. Mm -hmm. Understand, you know, the people, the strengths, the weaknesses, challenges, and really, and really kick the tires and understand it clearly. Because there may be some of the same problems. There are some common, I think there are generally some common problems, in my opinion, at a lot of organizations. But, you know, you don't, don't make that assumption, you know, make sure you really dig into it to understand what you're doing. One of the things that I've seen happen a few times, um, you know, I, I've seen it either in environments that I've been in or um, other people that I know have been in, is people will come into an organization and they'll be confronted with, you know, you start to, after six months to a year, you start to really kind of look under the rocks and see all of the, you know, nastier problems. Lively's theory of dysfunction. <laughs> exactly. Um, but you you begin to realize, oh gosh, we've been, let's say, and this is a just an example, but this is a classic type of thing. Let's say um, you discover, oh my goodness, you know, we've been doing this, that, or the other thing, and that's actually not the right practice. Um, because, you know, we do, in fundraising, there are rules. There are things that you um, are not allowed to do from either an IRS perspective or an ethics perspective. Um, when you encounter something where you've, you've got a culture of, let's say, trustees or high-level donors who are accustomed to a certain um, sort of format for how they experience interactions with the advancement office, and you as the new leader have to say, I am sorry, but we're going to have to change this practice. That can be really tough. It can. And, and you have to have the confidence um, in doing the right thing. Mm -hmm. You know, you're not going to, you shouldn't ever break the law. And right. you shouldn't violate your own ethical code, much less that of the expectations of the institution. Right. Um, and having those conversations can be difficult. You also need to have the trust of the leader who appointed you into this role and make yeah. sure that they understand what you're doing, why you're doing it. And um, if you don't, you probably chose the wrong organization, quite frankly. Um, yes. You, but you need to follow your own ethical code. And I think oftentimes saying, I can't do this, this violates my, my ethics um, to the person who hires you um, is a very powerful thing to say. Agreed. And I've had to say it a couple of times throughout my 28-year career, and it's always gotten me in, in the best place because I'm not going to I'm not going to do something I don't believe is the appropriate thing to do. Right. Nobody should ever be put in that position, no. frankly. And um, hopefully, you know, we all have managers who understand and support that. And I agree. If you don't have that, you really you really have no choice but to find other yeah. opportunities. Well, and you can, and donors will understand if you're trying to mitigate risk for the for the institution, or frankly, mitigate risk for them, mm -hmm. they'll understand that most of the time. Right. Um, not always, but most of the time. And if they don't understand it, and they still want to push you to do something that's illegal or unethical. You have to walk away. Yeah. And you need again to have the trust, and that's a lot easier to do at the top of an organization than it is somewhere in the middle or at the bottom of the organization. Amen. And so that's really important. And again, you're you're modeling behavior. Yeah. when you do this. And that's really important to, to, to illustrate to your team and to create the kind of culture that shows you're going to do the right thing. Um, and you're going to be the right kind of leader for that organization. Yeah. You know, in general, in, in life and in my work, I've always thought that when you take something away from people, it makes a lot of sense and is very helpful 
to give them something else in replacement for that. So um, you never want to just say, we're going to stop, we're going to cease this practice because, you know, we're offering more of a benefit to the donor than, you know, is appropriate or whatever. Um, what, what you want to say, I think, instead is, here's what we want to start doing. You know, we want to start, instead of doing this, let's do this and have that other thing be something that, because we all know this, it's really not about stuff. Donors don't want stuff. They want um, to have deep, meaningful experiences that teach them the power of what it is that they have done for the institution. Um, and of course, I'm talking about major donors here, you know, but, but that's the kind of experience that your donors really want. And that is free. Like you can do that virtually for free. Um, pick up the phone and call somebody and do that, or, you know, send them a video. That kind of outreach is so meaningful to people. Um, so I think a lot of it has to do with, um, you know, just kind of creating solutions um, rather than identifying problems. Yeah, and I think this goes back to, you know, really understanding the organization, understanding the culture, know, you know, what are the sacred cows, right? Mm -hmm. um, and understanding why they are. And it's, yeah. and it's really trying to dissect what the culture is. And then in your own way, put your own stamp on this, you know, that's going to be, uh, that will help you take it to the next level, mm -hmm. but do it in the right way. You know, my mom gave me some advice many years ago that I've always remembered and I've always kind of taken it with me. She said, if, if you're in a new job and for the first six months to a year, it doesn't scare you, then it wasn't a big enough leap for you to take, right? I mean, it's, and it's always kind of comforted me. So when I um, get put in a new role and I'm feeling a little um, over my skis, so to speak, I always try to remember that advice and remember that you should be, you know, in your career making forward momentum. So in kind of wrapping things up here, um, I just want to say if, if you are a person who is um, newly leading an office and if you're facing challenges, just be really, really kind to yourself because you're going to make mistakes. You're going to encounter some things the hard way. Um, it's not every lesson is going to come to you, um, you know, in, in a way that you want to receive it. Um, so just be kind to yourself. Remember that, you know, if you put the organization first, if you do what you think is right and ethical, and if you're trying the best you can to be a supportive and responsive uh, manager, um, you know, the rest will come to you. Yeah, I have perpetual imposter syndrome. <laughs> Oh my gosh. I always wonder, when are they going to figure out, I don't know what the hell I'm doing. And I've been thinking that for 28 years in my career. Um, so <laughs> If you have that, I think we all have that. I do. And I, it's <laughs> real and I have it all the time. And I, yeah. and I think, but I think at the, at the end of the day, I also coming into a new organization as a new person. And I, I came in the Northwestern as an, an associate vice president. So a fairly large organization and coming in as one of the, you know, four number twos within mm -hmm. the organization out of, you know, nearly 400 people isn't, is daunting in a yeah. place that has an incredible brand and reputation. But I also had enough trust in my experience, had enough trust in my understanding of how advancement works, right? to go in and ask really good, hard questions of the organization, trust the people, listen to them, and then make my own assessment and then try to build consistency around that. And that was really great. It didn't mean it was always easy. It didn't mean everybody agreed with me or that they still do for that matter. Right. Um, but I had to have a tr enough trust in my instincts, my own experience, 
Um, and again, you know, a, a, a way of approaching the information that was both qualitative and quantitative that allowed me to have the best understanding of the organization. You know, that is so true. First of all, I think all of us experience imposter syndrome, or most of us. And I think, I think it's 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 normal. And I think it comes from um, you know just being knowledgeable enough to know all of the things that you don't know, so to speak. Yeah. Um, but I think the really important thing to remember is the kind of community that we're in in fundraising. You know, I have been struck so much, especially in the last few years since I um, you know left higher ed and started working um, you know in on the for profit side. I have really come to realize this is a community of people that will rally around you and support you and help you. Um, I find myself offering to be that person for other people all the time. And I find myself calling on my friends all the time and asking them for help. So don't ever forget that the great thing about fundraising is, you know, if you know people at other institutions, it's very rare that you're actually quote unquote competing in, in a true sense. You know, you're going after different, different people for different projects, different institutions. So you really can look to the community as a community of colleagues. And you really, um, I find that it's incredibly heartwarming how many people there are out there, even ones that you may not know very well, who will be there for you if you ask for help. 100%, I talked to two people today, one um, from one institution on the East Coast, um, trying to get some counsel and advice for my experience in, in running a large multi-billion dollar campaign and the other asking advice from a sitting VP at, on the West Coast who is one of the smartest people in the, in the business. And so I lived it twice today and it's, I do it constantly and it's important, yeah. it's important to reach out to those people, build your own set of mentors, ask them questions about your decision-making when you're new in a job because they've been there. And, yeah. you know, they, it didn't all go smoothly. It wasn't all pretty. And so it's important to, you know, give yourself some grace and and trust your instincts, but also lean on really smart people who've done this before. That's all I've ever done. Amen. Same. Um, and and in closing up, I'll just say if if you want to lean on us, you know, we are some of the people in this good community of, of pals that you can lean on. So if you're facing um, a difficult challenge, if there's something that you'd like us to talk about on the show, please feel free to reach out to us at talkingshop at evertrue.com. Um, until then, um, it's great talking to you, Dave. And um, as always, I feel a little smarter just uh, hanging out with you. <laughs> Thanks for talking shop with us. Until right. next time. Bye.